You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. For those of you that do not know me, my name is John, and I was on staff at this church for about five years, and I uh, served in multiple different areas, but uh, mainly I was the student pastor here, and I got to kind of get that ministry going, and uh, I'm so... um, excited to see what Cody and what Justin are doing with the ministry now. And so if you're a teenager or you're a parent of a teenager, man, I'd love to invite you to come check out 212, check out Doxa. Um, a lot of cool things are going on over there. But um, a couple years ago, we, uh, me and my wife felt like we, um, the Lord was leading us back up to Atlanta. That's where our family was from. And so uh, we headed back up to Atlanta and I took a job working for a video analysis company and um, kind of been doing that. And long story short, um, about a year later, we felt the Lord was tugging us back to Statesboro again. And we uh, just missed our family. We missed our friends. We missed um, this church. And so uh, we've been back now for uh, just under a year and I'm still working for the same company, but um, I've still been able to be actively involved in ministry. I got to be part of the team over in Milne to kind of help them get going. And man, it's been incredible what God is doing over there through Jeremy and Dallas and the Lindsays and um, the rest of the people over there. So if you haven't had a chance to check out Milne or to check out Vidalia, I encourage you to go do so. The, the very cool thing about all these churches is that the, same, the, the thing that is the same across all of them is the people. The people's love for Jesus and the people's um, just desire to serve one another is consistent across all the campuses. So it's just so cool seeing what God is doing. Um, But about a month ago, Brandon asked if I'd want to to share and want to speak with y'all. And I was just um, blown away by that opportunity and humbled to be able to do that, but so excited to be able to share with y'all this morning. Hopefully it's encouraging to all of us. Um, I will say this, um, my wife is 39 weeks pregnant. So that means she's real pregnant. Um, So if you see me like check my phone or something and get wide-eyed and just run off the stage. Here's, what, here's the game plan. I got a game plan, all right? So I'm just going to run off. I'm going to tag someone, all right? Whoever I tag, you're just going to come up here. I left my notes up here. Just finish it out, all right? The deal? We good with that? Good? All right. So um, we're very excited about that. I'm going to be having a baby girl. Her name is Harper Karras. So cannot wait to meet her. I am just so excited. Scared to death. Absolutely scared out of my mind, but it's going to be good. The Lord's going to be faithful, um, so just excited to meet her. Um, Today, we are continuing this series called Promises, and um, this whole series is about looking at the promises of God. The thing we know about God is God is a promise maker, but he's also a promise keeper, all right? And what we mean by that is that throughout scriptures in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see God continue to give his people promises, right? But he doesn't just stop with a promise. He fulfills the promise, and it shows us that he is faithful, that he's someone that we can trust. And so hopefully as we go throughout this entire series, series, we're gonna be able to see God in that light. We're gonna be able to remember some of these promises that God has for us. Last week, Brandon opened up this series and he talked about the promise about how we are a new creation in Christ and how the old is gone and the new has come. What incredible promise that is. And he gave this illustration about how God wants to pour out his love and his grace over us. And he kind of gave this illustration of him almost pouring it into a cup. But so often we kind of put our hands over top of the cup, right? Because we feel like we're not good enough to receive that. We're not worthy enough to receive that, but that is just a lie. And so the Lord really wants to promise us that, no, we are a new creation and we can hope in that. Today, we're going to be looking at this promise about how God is our provider. He's our protector. And because of that, we have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to worry about. But I realize that worry and anxiety, I mean, this is that's kind of a big deal. It's something that a lot of us probably struggle with. And so I realize this is going to be maybe a heavy message. It's going to be something that hits really home for you because of what's going on in your life. But I really hope and I pray that this is going to be something that really meets us where we're at. 
I do want to say this, that I know some of you in here, maybe you, you even take some medicine for your, for your worry or anxiety. And I think sometimes maybe you feel like you're less of a Christian or you're not, um, you're not trusting God enough. And what I would say about that is the same thing that our pastor would say is that if we went to the doctor and the doctor said that your kidney's not functioning right, right? There's some enzymes that are just not there. It's not working like it needs to, but not to worry. I've got some medicine for you and it's gonna take care of the whole thing, right? You're gonna say, doc, that's awesome. Hit me up with that prescription. We'll head down to Walgreens. We'll take care of that, right? Easy, right? What if you went to that doctor again and he said, you know, there's something going on with your mind, right? There's a, a chemical imbalance and it's making you a little bit more prone to anxiety. Why would you not take him up on that, right? Why do we have no problem taking the medicine for our kidney, right? But not for our mind. And so if you're in here, that's something you have to do. I, want, I don't want you to feel any condemnation for you. I don't, for that, I don't want you to feel like you're less of a, a Christian because of that. Now, I would say this, that can God heal that kidney in our brain without medicine? Absolutely. Can he do it through the medicine? Absolutely. Can we abuse medicine? Absolutely, right? There's a balance in all of that. So I, I just, I wanted to kind of lay out that disclaimer um, just a little bit because I know that that's some of y'all in here, but I hope that regardless of whether you take medicine, regardless of whether you feel like you struggle with this or not, my hope is that you will get something from this message. And so we're gonna be in Matthew chapter six. This is gonna be Jesus speaking here. If you wanna go ahead and begin turning there in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, as we always say, we would love to give you a Bible. You can stop off at one of the Next Steps table and one of the connectors there would love to give you a Bible. But this is Jesus speaking here. And this is a, a passage we're probably very familiar with. You've probably either read it before or listened to it before. And so I kind of just want to, to read through this message or this, this passage real quick. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna dive into the rest of the message. So this is what it says in Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Is that, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, Father, we just love you, God. God, you are, you are great. God, you are mighty. We pray that we are reminded of that today. God, I realize that this is a message that... Um, it's gonna be very personal for a lot of people depending on what they're going through. God, and I pray that you speak to them today with a message that they need to hear. God, I pray that you take these words and you penetrate hearts. God, and that we can listen to this truth and we can be reminded of this promise. So God, do something great today, God. Be with us here this morning and we'll lift all this up in your son's name, amen. So in my life, um, a lot of the women in my life are a bit of worriers. Now, I'm not saying all women are worriers. I'm just so saying that it happens to be that the women in my life are a bit of worriers. Let me 
give you some examples of that. So my mom, growing up, maybe you had this type of mother as well, whenever I began driving, she was convinced if I did not answer my phone call whenever I arrived somewhere, called her back quick enough, that it, no matter what, it meant that I was in a ditch, right? I was in a ditch, right? I had somehow found this ditch. I don't know where this ditch existed, but somehow, for some reason, I would take my car and I would just drive right into the ditch. My mom was worried about that nonstop. My wife, she also is a bit of a worrier, obviously, with being pregnant, right? There's a lot, a lot of things to worry about. But to give you an example with this one, um, about a week ago, she, she woke up and got mad at me because she had a dream that I left her, Right? Then I left her. I was just, I was out of here, right? And I'm like, what the heck? Dream John is screwing it up for reality John. I'm like, Dream John is such a jerk, right? And I'm like, what in the world? And I just look at her and I'm like, look, all right, first of all, you're super fine, right? So I'm not going anywhere, all right? Second of all, no one would have me. Like, believe me, no one else would have me. She, it's believe me, nobody else would, would have me, right? So, but she's still, still a worrier. Right? Even my cat, guys, my cat is a worrier, right? We were at home the other day, some wind kind of blew a little bit. She's like, oh my gosh, what's that? What's that? Did you hear that? I think that's a dog next story. He's going to get me. He's going to get me. And I'm like, good grief, cat, get it together. But I mean, she, she gets her revenge on me because you know, we'll be sitting there, we'll be watching some TV and it'll be late one night. And I don't know if your animal does this where you're just, you're doing something and all of a sudden out of nowhere, they get up and they look directly behind your head, wide-eyed, like something's about to get you, right? And then I'm like, great, now I got to get up. I got to go change my pants because I peed just a little bit, right? Because something behind me is going to get me. It's just, it's just crazy, right? But I say all that to say that I find myself oftentimes trying to give advice to people that worry. And a lot of times this is what the advice looks like. It says, look, what, why are you worrying about something that more than likely is not going to happen? A lot of times these things that we worry about, they don't actually happen, right? And so you're going to worry about something. It's not actually going to happen. So you're going to spend all this time worrying about it. And even if it does happen, it's not like you're going to be sitting there going, you know, I'm really glad I worried about that. Like I feel more prepared now. We don't, we don't say that, right? And even Jesus, we see this in Matthew where he says, look, what are you going to add to your life by worrying? So I'm like, look, my advice is biblical. But so often, if you've given this same advice to a worrier, does it really do much? Mm -mm, it doesn't, because they know that, right? People who worry, it's not that they don't know that, what they're, that there's not necessarily a logic behind their worrying, right? So I'm like, okay, if we know these things, if we read Matthew 6 and we read it and we're going, Jesus is telling us not to worry. And if he's going to, how much more is he going to do for us? If he provides us all for the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, if he's going to do all of that, how much more is he going to do for his children? We know all of that up here, right? But so often we read this passage and it doesn't really do much, does it? We just kind of read it and we're like, yeah, I know that's true, but it just doesn't really implement and really go into our lives. So I want to figure out why is that, right? And what can we do about that? And so as I was preparing for this message, I found myself going to the Psalms a lot. So we're going to jump over to uh, Psalm 27 to begin with. It's going to be up on the screen. But the reason I, I felt like I was going to the Psalms a lot is the Psalms are very real. There's almost a, a brutal honesty in them. And what we see in these Psalms is almost like journal entries. And the people that are writing, when they are praising the Lord and they're really experiencing the goodness of the Lord, man, you see that in the Psalm and they're shouting out the greatness of the Lord. But when things are bad, man, they're like, God, what the heck? Where are you? I feel like you've just left me. There's just an extreme honesty. And I feel like I can identify with that a lot. And maybe you can identify that with that as well. And so in Psalm 27, this is what David says. David opens it up and it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What an incredible start to a psalm, isn't it? Right? Who should I fear? When the Lord is on my side, who should I fear? What a powerful intro to a psalm. And you're like, David, yeah, absolutely, man. That's awesome. And then David goes on in verse two and he says, 
when the wicked advance against me, and you're like, what? Uh, David, you said, whom shall I fear? And then you just talked about something to fear. And then he goes on, he says, though an army besiege me in verse three. Later on, he says, though my mother and father forsake me. And you're like, David, you're kind of listing out some things that I should be afraid of. So how can you open up that scripture and say, who should I be afraid of? And then list out all of these things that I should be afraid of. But see, pay attention to this. This is what David does. At the end of verse three, he says, even then I will be confident. And he closes up the psalm in verse 13 and 14. And he says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So this is what we see David do. David recognizes that in this life, you will have trouble. David acknowledged that. David leans into the fact that things are going to happen. He's going to be attacked. Think bad things are going to happen in David's life. But immediately, David pairs that with the confidence he has in the Lord. David pairs that with the goodness of the Lord. David never loses sight of that. And you see David almost leaning in to the troubles of this world. And so I, I think, what would that look like for us if we leaned in to the troubles, but the second we leaned into it, we paired that with who the Lord was? I don't know about you, maybe you're, when you read through the Psalms, maybe you have a hard time buying into some of it. I want to jump over to Psalm 121. In Psalm 121, this isn't David speaking, this is a, another author of the Psalms. And it's a very popular Psalm. And maybe when you read it, you have the same kind of conclusion I do. But this is what it says, and I want to read it in its entirety. It's only eight verses. It says, I lift up my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. What an incredible beginning to another psalm. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. What an incredible psalm that we see right there where we get to proclaim the fact that the Lord is going to protect us. The Lord is not going to let anything happen to us. He's not going to let any harm happen. You read that and you're like, man, how incredible is the Lord? But maybe if you're like me, you read it sometimes, you're going, I don't know, because it seems like in my life, I've seen some harm. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you're like, you know, it seems like not everything has worked out. It seems like maybe God's not really telling me the truth here. And you have trouble reading these words. But when I was reading the the past couple weeks and I was reading this Psalm, you know what I thought about? I thought about these are probably going to be the same words that I want to tell my daughter Harper whenever she's born, whenever she gets to this earth. Now, obviously I'm not going to refer to myself as the Lord, hopefully, right? But I'm going to look at her and I'm going to tell her, I'm going to tell her, Harper, I want you to know something. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to protect you. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. If I see you running to the stove or running out to the street, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to guard you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to have you come and um, come into my arms and I'll tell you how much that you're loved. I want her to know that. I want her to know that she can trust her father, right? And any father in here, I would say that that's probably the same thing you want to tell your kids, right? Your sons and your daughters that you want them to know how protected they are. You want them to know that you are there for them, right? But here's the thing, fathers. Can we say that fully? We can't, can we? Because the reality is something's going to happen to Harper. I know this. She's going to break her leg. She's going to get sick. She's going to get rejected. 
She's going to get broken up with, and she's going to have her heart broken for the first time, and I can't stop those things from happening. But here's what I can do. Right? She, she gets broken up with. Her heart is just devastated. You know what I can do? The first thing I can do is I can jack that fool in his face, right? Are you kidding me? Breaking up with my daughter? No, 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 it's not going to happen, right? Not my daughter. See, here's the thing. A lot of my friends, right, they've been having little baby boys, and I'm excited for them. That's great and all, but already I got a little ill will for these baby boys because I'm thinking to myself, you better keep your slimy hands off my daughter, right? See, y'all can't, you can't sleep in church because you never know when you're going to get hit, right? The same thing as that boy. He's not going to know when he's going to get hit, right? All right. Maybe you fathers, you understand this, all right? Of course, like, that's, that's what I want to do, but, like, in reality, you know what I'm going to do? She's going to come to me, and I'm going to wrap her up in my arms. And I'm going to point her back to the Lord. Because in that moment, you know what she's going to question? She's going to question God's goodness. Because that's what we all do. When things happen in our lives, what is the first thing we do? We go, how could a good God let that happen? Right? Whether we acknowledge that or not, that's what we do. We question those things. And the second you question God's identity, you know what happens? You lose your own identity. When we question God's identity, we lose our own. Why? Because where do we get our identity from? The Lord. And so my role as her earthly father is to point her back to her heavenly father, to remind her that her heavenly father is good. And when she's questioning herself, when she's questioning whether she's good enough, she's questioning her value and her worth, and I'm going to remind her that she's a daughter of the king. I'm going to remind her that she's fearfully and wonderfully made because I am her earthly father, her loving father that wants to point her back to Jesus because that's my role as her father. Because if I don't do that, she's going to continue down that path of questioning all of those things. But I'm not going to let that happen because I'm her father and I love her. And so I'm going to point her back and I'm going to point her back, right? That's my job. That's my role. That's why my daughter's going to know that my daddy protects me. Not because I can't stop everything from happening, but when something does happen, she can run into my arms and we can make it right again. And the way we make it right is we point people back to the Lord. But here's what happens, guys. When we question God's goodness, you know what, is, you know what we're doing? We're kind of looking at a situation where we're saying, maybe I know better. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, when we worry... It's us thinking that God's not going to get something right. And bitterness is when we believe that God didn't get it right in the past. So we worry when we think that God's not going to get something right. And we have bitterness when we believe that God didn't get it right. So you know what happens here is that we begin to put ourselves in the driver's seat. We begin to think that we know better than God. And this issue has been going on since the beginning of time. Look at the Garden of Eden. Look at Adam and Eve. What did they do? They had everything that was provided for them, right? God was taking care of their every need. They were fully dependent on the Lord. And then all of a sudden, the enemy creeps in and he says, you don't need God. You don't need to be dependent on them, on him. You can do all of this on your own. And they begin seeing, going from God's perspective of everything to their perspective on things. And they begin looking at themselves and saying, man, I could do this. And that's what happens. We, when we begin thinking that, when we begin questioning that, we begin changing our perspective. We begin going from God's perspective to our own. And what happens is it's almost like we begin to put blinders on, right? And what I mean by that, maybe you've seen like the horses down in Savannah where they got those blinders on their eyes, right? And it stops them from seeing kind of what's going on inside. Obviously, those, those are good things. The horse needs to, to pay attention. And sometimes we need some blinders in our own, you know, in our own eyes on certain things. But when it comes to our perspective, 
When it comes to the perspective of our lives, a lot of times we put on these blinders. And what it does is allows us to miss what God's doing in a situation. Think about the disciples, right? Think about the disciples when the crucifixion takes place. Think about their perspective in that moment, right? They're kicking it with Jesus before that, right? Jesus is healing people. The blind are able to see. The sick are healed. The dead are raised. It's awesome. They're like, man, Jesus, this is awesome. This is so cool. This is great. And then all of a sudden, Jesus gets crucified, and they're like, what? What just happened? Their world was rocked, and they went from God's perspective in that moment to thinking, what's the worst thing that could happen right now? Jesus be murdered on a cross. And so all of a sudden they had the blinders and all they could see is what's directly in front of them. All they could see is this is the worst thing that could ever have happened. How can this ever be made right? Now we don't know a lot about what was going on during those three days, but I can only imagine those disciples, man, they're questioning going, God, what the heck? What the heck? What, how did this, why did this happen? And the God's like, see, it doesn't end with the crucifixion, Right? God had this idea called the resurrection, right? And so God took the worst thing imaginable that has ever happened in all of time, and he said, I'm going to turn it into the greatest thing that has ever happened. And in that moment, the disciples went from right here to this is the worst thing that's ever happened to they pulled out to God's view again and said, oh, wow, maybe this is the best thing that has ever happened. And immediately, you know what those disciples remembered? They remembered what Jesus told them when he was washing their feet. He said, now you're not going to understand what I'm doing, but later, later you're going to understand. And in that moment, those disciples, they remembered that. They remembered what Jesus said. And so when they saw him resurrected, all of a sudden it made sense. They're like, it didn't make sense at the time because we had only our perspective. We only saw it from our point of view. But now we see God's point of view and it opened up their eyes. And when we go back to Matthew again, Jesus talks about the line where he says, you of little faith. When it says there, it's not saying that you have a lack of faith. It's saying that you have a, a deficiency in your faith, right? And so when we have a deficiency in, in our lives, maybe it's a nutrition thing, you know, we, we figure out how do we supplement that? How do we, how do we fuel that? And I believe Jesus gives us the answer to that. When I was reading through this section on not worrying, this is part of a, of a bigger sermon that Jesus is speaking here. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus's first message in his ministry. And there's something very interesting. On the opposite end of the page, at least in my Bible, Right next to do not worry, literally in the same area, we have the Lord's Prayer. And I realized, and I found it very interesting, that before Jesus said, do not worry, he gave us the outline for prayer. Let's pay attention to this prayer real quick. It says this, it says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what that says there? It's saying, it's allowing us to fix our eyes on Jesus as a good father, as a perfect father, that he is above us, that he is he is glorified, that he is better than us. We are identifying, we are beginning to form ourselves to a right view of God. When we say your kingdom come and your will be done, what we're saying is that his ways are better than our ways. We're acknowledging that. We're surrendering ourselves. When we say give us today our daily bread, we're looking at God as our provider. We're saying, God, we are dependent upon you. When we ask him to forgive our debts, we're saying you are our deliverer. You are our healer. We are identifying who God is over and over again. When we say, and lead us not into temptation, we're saying you are our protector. The entire Lord's prayer is all about God's identity. 
Just like I wanted to point Harper back to who God is and allow her to not lose sight of his identity, the entire Lord's Prayer is intended to do that. It's intended to allow us to have a right view of God, to have us in the right spot and God in the right spot, right? The entire Lord's Prayer is meant to do that. So what does that mean? Well, we're going to jump over to Philippians now. I promise all this is going to make sense. The Bible's really good, though. Y'all should really read it because all the answers are in here. So now we're going to look at what Paul says about worry. And it's going to pair up with all of this. So in Philippians chapter 4, Paul gives a very similar message to what Jesus is giving. And in, verse, or in chapter 4, verse 6, he says this. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So Paul here, he's saying the exact same thing that Jesus is saying. Don't worry, right? Don't be anxious about anything. But Paul, he gives us the steps to take. Because Paul follows that up and he says, you know, how do you not worry about everything? He says, with prayer and petition. The second we read the word prayers, we jump back to the Lord's prayer. We think we jump back to the prayer that lines us up with a right view of God. It puts God in his right spot and us in our right spot. And so when we go to God with that prayer and with that petition and that, that type of thanksgiving, here's the result. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's our answer. When we approach God with prayer and with petition and with thanksgiving, you know what happens? The peace of God comes over you. So that worry and that anxiety, that's kind of almost an opposing force to prayer and petition, right? And so all of a sudden, when we begin praying with that same type of prayer that we see outlined in the Lord's Prayer that puts God in the right view, that peace of God begins coming over our lives and you're like, maybe you're saying, well, how does that work? How does praying about it actually do something? Well, you know what? Paul says, it's not gonna make sense. He said it transcends all understanding. So it's not going to make sense. But that's the hope that we have. When James, the brother of Jesus, you know what he told us? He said that prayer is powerful and effective. Why does it work? Why does it, how, how does this, this happen? I don't know. But the brother of Jesus said that it's powerful and effective, so maybe we should believe it. Paul says that this is the method that's going to give you the peace of God. Jesus outlines this prayer for us. So obviously, man, there's something to it. I believe that prayer is God's tool for accomplishing his mission. I believe prayer is God's tool for accomplishing his mission. And the way we battle worry and the way we battle anxiety is not by thinking about it over and over again. It's by hitting our knees and aligning ourselves with a right view of God. But I realize that sometimes this isn't easy, right? And so I want to give you all, I want to give you all some steps to take that you know, it'll, it'll kind of help us um, maybe kind of help align ourselves a little bit better. Maybe it's, um, there's nothing special about these steps. It's just some things that I came up with. Um, but I want to walk us through these things. And so if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these things down. But the first thing I would say is we need to begin changing our when, or excuse me, we need to change our what if to when. Change your what if to when. Here's what I mean by that. When we begin asking the question, what if, right? And for those of you that you're worriers, you know that oftentimes you can kind of be up at night asking that question over and over again, right? What if this happens? What if that? What if this? What if that, right? You can't get out of that cycle, can you? Because that's where the enemy wants you. He wants to keep you in that what if, because there's no end to the what ifs. But see, when we looked at David a while ago, we looked at the Psalms, David took that what if 
And it didn't end there. He, did, he never said the what if. He leaned in to the when, right? We look at Job. Job was a person that had a lot of tragedy happen in his life. But Job, Job said this. He said, the Lord takes and the Lord gives. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job recognizes. Job understands this. But here's the thing. We never stop with step one. All right, because step one's kind of scary, isn't it? When we lean into the fact that in this life we will have trouble, that's scary, isn't it? But see, we never stop there. We never stop with just step one, because step two is this. The when or the what doesn't change the who. The when or the what doesn't change the who. So when we pair, look, something's going to happen in my life, all right? The when is going to happen. Something, tragedy is going to strike, strike. Certain things are going to happen that I is going to just going to rock my world. But when that happens, it does not change who the Lord is. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they went to the furnace, right, they knew they were going to the furnace. And they said this. They said, we believe that the Lord can deliver us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. So you know what that's saying? That's saying that even if God does not do something that we think he should do, it does not change his goodness. It does not change whether he can do that. So in our lives, the when does not change the who. We need to continue to remind ourselves who God is. Remind ourselves that he is good, that he is faithful, that he is sovereign, regardless of what circumstance we have. Here's the reality, church. This is an easy message to preach. It's a much harder message to live, isn't it? Because we can come in here and we can declare God's praise and say that he is our protector and say that he is our provider and say all of these things, but then we're going to walk out those doors and you know what's going to happen? Life's going to hit us. Life's going to hit us. Things are going to happen in our lives. But here's what we are called to do. If you are a believer in Jesus and you have put your faith and your hope in Jesus, you know what scripture says? It says that you are a chosen nation. You're a royal priesthood who has been given the ability to declare God's praises who has taken you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Scripture says that you are an ambassador for Christ, right? You get to represent Christ. Scripture says that we are to preach the gospel into the ends of the earth. So you know what that means? It means you don't need me. You don't need Brandon. You don't need this prayer team to be preaching to you, to be reminding you of God's truths. Because the reality is scripture has declared that each one of you are a preacher of the gospel. Each one of you get to declare God's praises. Each one of you is a royal priesthood. So you know what that means? It means you don't need to be preaching to 100 people or 1,000 people. You need to be preaching to an audience of one, and that audience is yourself. It's a whole lot easier to preach to other people than it is to you yourself. But you know what scripture says? It says that we should meditate on God's word day and night. It says that we should take God's word and we should tie it as symbols and we should bind it to our foreheads and we should wrap it on our wrists. We should talk about it in our coming and in our going when we wake and when we sleep. It says that we should take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. In James, it says that we should not just merely be hearers of the word, we should be doers of the word. In Psalm, it says that we have hidden God's word in our heart. The reason we do all of this is so that when that thing happens, right, when we feel attacked, when we feel like the world has fallen apart, we rely back on God's word. That's why we have to take God's word and we have to place it right here. 
That is what the armor of God in Ephesians 6 is talking all about. It's talking about taking this word, taking God's word and applying it to our lives. And there's moments in your lives, church, that when things are going to happen, you need to begin preaching to yourself God's goodness because the when doesn't define and change the who. The last point that I would give you is that we need to change our why to a how. Change your why to a how. Oftentimes when things happen in our lives, when we feel attacked, when tragedy happens, when sickness happens, what do we ask? We ask, why, God? Why did you let this happen? Why did you not let that happen? Think about the disciples going back to the the cross again. They asked why. Why did you let this happen? When we ask why, we stay right here. We stay right here in our perspective of the situation. But when we ask how, how is when we say, God, how are you going to use this? How are you going to change this situation? Because I can't see it. I can only see the why right now. I can't see what you're doing out here. But when we ask how, we go from right here, and sometimes we just go out a little bit. Sometimes we pull back even more. But when we begin asking God, how can you use this? How can you change this? How can you use this for your good? We have to begin asking the how. But that's a tough question to ask sometimes because it forces us to pull back from our situations It forces us to pull back from these things and look at things from a different light. But just as Jesus reminded his disciples, as I said earlier, that now you're not gonna understand this, but later, 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 it's gonna make sense. And sometimes that later is later the day, that day. Sometimes it's the next week. Sometimes it's the next year. Sometimes you might not see it for many years. But when we look at the promises of God, we see that he always comes through on those promises, doesn't he? And so it gives us reason to trust. It gives us reason to hope. So even when we're looking at a situation and we can't make sense of it, we can't see how this could be any worse. God's sitting there and God's being reminded of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Whenever we question God's goodness, whenever we question the situations that are going on in our lives, we can always go back to the cross. When I was preparing for this message, um, my wife Natalie was on Facebook and she was kind of scrolling through some things and she came across one of her friend's posts. And um, I'm not sure whether he read this quote in a book or whether he came up with it on on his own. I don't really know. He didn't really document it. So I'll give him the credit. Um, But it really... Um, summed up um, the core of this message. And I wanted to read it um, to give him his credit. His name's Jonathan Good. If you know him, tell him, awesome. This is what he said. He said, on the cross, Jesus demonstrated his oneness with human suffering of all types, emotional, psychological, physical, and injustice. At the resurrection, Jesus demonstrated one thing that cannot be overstated. He's making all things totally and completely new again. I don't, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. 
And maybe the thing that you're worrying about is emotional. Maybe it's psychological. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's injustice. I don't know. But here's the thing. When we look at the cross, it is a reminder that it's not over. It's a reminder that one day all the tears will be wiped away, that God will make all things new again, that through the cross we can find that hope. Through the cross we can look and we can say, there's got to be another answer. And even though I'm looking at it from my perspective and I can't see how this could be any worse, we're reminded that the disciples had that very same thought and yet then the resurrection came. Then everything changed, didn't it? We, just, we talked about that series several weeks ago about how everything changed. Church, this is the thing we have got to grab a hold of. But maybe today, maybe you're in here and this is what's been holding you back. There's something in your life that you feel like you've not been able to trust God on. And you've just been worrying about it over and over again. And maybe this is the thing that has held you back from putting your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus for the first time. Look no further than the cross. That is our hope. That is what we look at to say, you know what? Regardless of the circumstance in my life, regardless of what's going on, it's not over. Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. Which means that, and when we read that verse of to take heart, right? Because in this life, I will have trouble. I got that backwards. In this life, we will have trouble. But the second part of that verse is to take heart because I have overcome the world. That is the hope. We never stop with the fact that in this life, we have trouble. We always pair that up with the fact that Jesus has overcome the world. So maybe you're here today and maybe you've been holding back. Maybe worry or your circumstances in your life is what's prevented you from coming to the Lord. And I I just really want to challenge you right now that don't hold back any longer. That I understand that, you know what, I don't know your situation. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you feel like you've been attacked with. But you think the thing is, is that God is not only our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is our Counselor, right? And sometimes when our lives are falling apart, you know what we have to do? We have to go see a counselor, don't we? Because they're the ones that help put the pieces back together. In my life, I've had to go see Joey before. Joey, our executive pastor, he's a counselor. And Joey helped put the things of my life back together again. But you know what? Joey's a great counselor, but he ain't got nothing on Jesus, all right? And Jesus is a whole lot cheaper, all right? He's a whole lot cheaper. But he's our, he's our wonderful counselor. He is our healer. So regardless of where you're at in your life right now, I beg of you, come to the Lord, right? He, he knows that things are going on. Think about this. Think about Lazarus, the story of Lazarus, right? Here you have Mary and Martha and Lazarus, very good friends of Jesus. And Jesus gets word that, uh, that Lazarus is sick and he's most likely gonna die. And Jesus waits and Lazarus ends up dying. And it devastates Mary and Martha. And Jesus shows up and they come to him and they say, Jesus, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And there's a line in scripture. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. And it says, Jesus wept. And you want to know why I think that he said that? You want to know why he wept? Jesus knew Lazarus was about to be raised from the dead. So what is Jesus sad about? Jesus knew regardless of the fact that he was going to make it right, it didn't change the pain that Mary and Martha went through, didn't it? They still had to hurt. They still had three or four days of trouble, of hurt, of asking why, why, why? And so Jesus felt that, that pain. Jesus understands the pain that you're going through. He realizes that this is a broken world, but that's why he came here to be our savior, to say, you know what? This world is broken, but I have an answer. 
and I'm going to help put the pieces back together. I'm going to make it right again. So I don't want to hold it off anymore. If you're here today and something in your life has been holding you back from putting your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, you don't need to wait on it any longer. Scripture says that we are not to be ashamed of the gospel. And so I'm going to ask you to be very bold. If you have never put your faith or hope in Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up as an act of obedience to say, today, I'm willing to do that. Today, I want to put my faith and my hope in Jesus. Is there anyone here that today you are ready to make that commitment? Okay. Well, here's what else I know. I know that in this room, there's probably a lot of things that we're all battling. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of trials that are going on right now. And so maybe you need to take some moments and you need to surrender those things to the Lord. My Connect group, we, uh, we're going through this book. It's um, called Awe, A-W-E. And it's a book by a, a guy named Paul David Tripp. And we just finished up the book. And at the end of the book, he says this. He says, celebrate that you are not in this battle by yourself. In fact, God continues to battle for us even when we don't have the sense to battle for ourselves. His grace is just that awesome. Maybe you're saying, John, I've tried to preach to myself. I've tried to take these truths of scripture and remind myself of them, but I'm just running on empty. This world has just been beating me down. I know the Lord, but I'm just, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. That's why we talk about being heart and soul with one another. That's why we talk about not doing life alone. And so when you feel like you can't preach anymore, you know what we do? We rally around each other. That's why we have this prayer team. They're gonna be up here. And you know what they would love to do? They would love to sing God's praises to you. They would love to remind you the truths of God, to remind you of the identity of God, to help align you back again with who God is. And so maybe today you need to do that. We're going to sing a, a couple of lines of the hymn, I Surrender All. You know, we, in that song earlier, obviously, we, there were some lines about um, I Surrender All, but I wanted to do the hymn. It's a, something I think we think back to a lot. And in this time, maybe you need to get some prayer. Maybe you're running on empty and you need this prayer team to speak some truth over you. You need that. You need them to lock arm in arm with you and say, well, you're not in this by yourself. Or maybe you just need to sit by yourself and you need to listen to these words. And you need to say, you know what? It's time for me to stop looking at my perspective right here and to say, maybe there's something I'm missing and I'm gonna choose to surrender my control over this situation. I'm not gonna continue to think that God's not getting it right. I'm not gonna walk down the path of bitterness, but I'm gonna choose to trust and you just need to take a couple moments. So Mandy's gonna sing. I'd ask that you, if you need prayer, please come forward. If you want to sit in your seat, then, then do that. Listen to these words. Have some intimate time with the Lord. Think about that Lord's prayer. Align your prayer with that Lord's prayer. It doesn't have to be the same words. But let's begin putting God back in that right view again. She'll end up dismissing us. So just take a couple moments. Whenever she does, I'd ask that you leave quietly in case people are still praying. So I'm about to pray and you can begin coming forward. You can begin sitting in your seat. Thank you all so much for, for listening. I love all of you. And I can't wait to see what God's going to continue to do in this church. Let's pray. Father, we, um, God, you are great. God, you are mighty. God, you are holy. God, you are greater than us. 
God, we surrender to you. God, we deny ourselves. And we look to you and we say, God, come in. God, we become obedient to what you are calling us to. God, we ask that you'll provide for us. Give us the things that we need. God, we know if we do these things, that just as Matthew 6 says, that when we take all of this and we apply these things in our lives, you know what's going to happen? We are going to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. When we take these steps and we make this opportunity to surrender ourselves to you, to give yourself where you belong, that obedience is us seeking first your kingdom. And I ask that the people here today, they begin to do that. I know we're not going to solve worry and anxiety today, but I pray that maybe we can go from our perspective and we can pull out just a little bit to, to begin to see maybe God's doing something different that I don't see. So God, we love you. God, and we praise you. And I ask that you meet each individual person where they're at right in this moment. Comfort them, God. Heal them. Give them, remind them of the hope. Remind them of the promise that you are their protector and that you are their provider. And because of that, they have nothing to worry about. Amen.